So hopefully this will make sense. I'm trying to, I bumped my head before I came, so I'm a little scatterbrained. Has anybody ever been scatterbrained? Does it, so if we think of what does that even mean, I'm tying this in, so I'm, I did bump my head, I didn't do it on purpose, although it fits, but I'm not, <laughs> I bent over. I got old. I hit my head on a shelf. So thinking straight, so all of a sudden, okay, I hope I can think straight. What does it mean to think straight? If you're not thinking straight, what are you thinking? Ever think about thoughts? I might be the only, or the weirdest anyways. I know we're all a little weird. Ever think about thoughts? Of course, that's all you think is thoughts, but do you ever think about thoughts? And, and no, Rob doesn't think. <laughs> so, okay, how many, so if I was to ask, I could ask for a show of hands because I already told you I'm a little silly, but who thinks they're smart? What does it mean? So what does it mean to be smart? So I think we, there I go, I think again. Um, so do we think with our brain? I, I think of somebody that's smart, I know people that I work with are, we would call them very intelligent. People say, that guy's smart. But what does that mean? He remembers a lot of stuff. So if you read a lot of books and you remember a lot of stuff, we think of them as smart because they can reiterate things that they've seen before. But everything they read might be wrong. So just because you can remember stuff, that's not, is that enough? And how do you remember? Even when I was a kid, I had a lot of issues as a kid. I still have a lot of issues, but I remember a fear of taking tests. I was talking to somebody earlier today, trying to get ready to prepare for teaching, and she's like, I don't take tests well. And I remember, of course, doing my homework and studying might help, but I'm looking at a book, like the day before the test, thinking this is gonna be on the test, and that's the answer, and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, how do I make that come to my memory tomorrow? How do you make yourself think? And I used to panic and then I couldn't remember it because I thought, I overthought it. What does that mean? So what does it mean, this, the whole thing of thinking? Do we think with our brain? Maybe my brain, maybe I'm just not smart. And this is very relevant. I think as we go through this, you might find this might change your walk radically. I think it, it, it can about what we think about and how you think. So do I think with my brain or with my mind? What is a mind? We're created in God's image, right? We know that he thinks all the time, right? I know the thoughts that I have for you. And he tells us that his thoughts are you more than the sands of the sea. In other words, he's never not thinking about you. God thinks, and we were created in his image. We have the ability to think. What do we do with that? And every once in a while, have you ever had an evil thought? I can't ask for a raise of hands because not being honest, would, <laughs> lying is an evil thought. Where does it come from? Where does that thought come from? Who derived that? Is it from inside of me? Is it from outside of me? Does God put thoughts in your head? Does Satan put thoughts in your head? Are they in my mind? Are they in my heart? Can we control them? Can we can make them not come? You ever ask God, why do I have these thoughts? Oh, my mind drifted away. It drifted. Well, who controlled it? What made it go somewhere? Why is it not there? Do we... This whole thing about thinking, I think, is extremely relevant. Sometimes, you know, oh, that thought crossed my mind. From where? where? Where did it come from? And how come good thoughts don't usually just happen to cross my mind? Um, I don't think it's possible 
at least it's me, to be in a state of non-thought. Somebody's like, oh, I just zoned out. What does that mean? I think that just means you stop trying. I think something inside of us, of course, you can read psychology, crazy stuff of smart people that don't really know what they're talking about or might not be biblical. And, you know, there's the id, the ego, the superego, your inner man, your outer man, your, your, you know, your conscious thought, your subconscious thought. All those things might have a bearing on where they come from. May or may not be true. I'm not that smart. But I think your subconscious never stops. There's something inside always going. I remember uh, one of my kids would say in bed at night, saved at four, I'm fully convinced, still walking with the Lord. And he used to tell me all the time, I hear voices dead. I, there's thoughts in my, I can hear things going on in my head. There's something there. And it's real. And there's a lot of people, people that come here that sit there and they have these things that come into their head and they're not always comforting or don't know where they come from. Sometimes they're very comforting. So with that process, as we're hopefully finishing Philippians tonight, um, like I mentioned before, that memory, remembering, thinking, all of these things are mentioned in every single chapter. Now we're coming to chapter four. And just to have this on the background, since we're finishing Philippians, turn to First Thessalonians 5, just to take a, a picture. The Bible has, and I, I've wondered and thought about this kind of thing for a long time because it's relevant to who we are. Have you familiar, if I throw that out there, the picture of a uh, question of dichotomy versus trichotomy? I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but... We're made in his image, and there's something going on inside of us and trying to just grasp the truth of all of that to be practical, how, how to live my life and what to do. First Thessalonians 5, start in verse 14. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, See that none renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for you, yourselves, and for all. And then this sounds like his letter to the Philippians. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely or wholly. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. He says, and I believe this picture, we were created in God's image. And Paul says, I want all of you completely to be sanctified or set apart unto God, your body, your soul, and your spirit. As a believer, you have a body that people can see. You have a soul, and you have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. All of them can be completely sanctified. So in my simple mind, if I have thoughts, they must come from one of those three things, one of those three parts of me. Yet it goes on. Turn with me to Mark 12. We'll be bouncing around quite a bit. Mark 12, we're going to be starting in verse 28. 
Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You can love God with your heart, you can love God with your soul, you can love God with your mind, and you can love God with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love the neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offering and sacrifice. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. So Jesus said, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, yes, with your heart, understanding, soul, and strength. So understanding and mind must be synonymous because Jesus said you've answered well when he said that. So we have understanding with our mind. Maybe that will help clear things up a little bit. Turn with me to Matthew 9, please. Matthew 9, verse 1. So he, Jesus, got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city, then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. So they were correct in their assumption. If somebody complained and did something wrong to Pastor Rob, took his cake without asking him, I know, you're out. And I walked up, hey, don't worry about it, I forgive you. They'd be like, yeah, but he's still mad at me. <laughs> if you sin against God, only God can forgive you. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he's declaring to be God because he's saying that you sinned against me and I'm going to forgive you. But Jesus said in verse 4, Knowing their thoughts, he knew what they were thinking. They had thoughts. Why do you think evil in your heart? So that's an evil thought. So thoughts can be evil, and that evil thought came from their heart. So Jesus answers, where, where do thoughts come from? Well, at least in part, thoughts come from your heart, not from your mind, not from your brain, or your mind 
in your heart are the same thing. Synonymous, there's a lot of terms that might intertwine and play within each other, and I don't have a grasp on it, so hopefully you're not going to walk away more confused than when you came, but think that it matters what you think and where your thoughts come from, and there is something that we can do about it, and it's important. Your thoughts don't have to just control you. I remember the late great prophet Dave Hunt, almost forgot his name because I'm stupid, <laughs> Dave Hunt used to talk about that, and he said, you know, your mind doesn't control you. If, you're, if you think with your brain, then you are controlled by your brain, and you're just a robot. Your brain doesn't control you. It's just a tool. You, you choose what to do with it. Thoughts are important, and they can be evil, and the evil thoughts come from our heart. So if we go back to Philippians 3, they say back because we were there last week. Philippians 3, we tied joy to understanding your standing with God and that he's in control and that everything can be good. And peace tied to your understanding of his control. That's why we pray. We give things to him. We can have this peace. But in chapter 3, if you go to verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many as are mature have this mind, and if if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Be mature and have this mind or tied together. And if you think otherwise, you can think incorrectly, God will have to reveal it to you. God, correct my wrong thinking. And we think with our heart and We can choose to change what we believe. We can choose to change what we think. Our thoughts don't control us. We're not a robot to our brain or to our thoughts. You have the ability to choose. It's called the ability to love. And he says, just agree with me. We're to have the same mind, and we're to have the mind of Christ. And any time our mind is not of the mind of Christ, we're thinking incorrectly, and we need to change our mind. And that's the word repent. It means, in the Greek, it means to change your mind. Don't be unbelieving, be believing. Don't disagree with God and his word. Agree with God and his word. Choose to believe. Well, I can't believe. Yes, you can believe. Everybody can believe. It's what you choose to believe. Well, I don't think. Well, I think sometimes the problem is we do think and we overthink. We think that we're smarter than God. We think that we know things that we don't. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We're to have the mind of Christ. And if you were to go, I'll just read now um, four, chapter 4, verse, read the first nine verses. This whole background of what do we think and how does it affect us. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord 
beloved. Remember where you are, whose you are, and how you stand. I implore Yudia and I implore Sintich to be of the same mind in the Lord. They have a different mind. They were thinking different things, and it caused a conflict. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life, so they're saved, they're walking with God, so they have peace with God. God crossed that bridge and made them have peace with him. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. What is an anxious? It's an anxious thought, right? Thoughts make us anxious. It's, it's thinking improperly. If, if you're sitting there and you're anxious, it's because you don't realize God's in control or you don't realize he's doing something or you don't realize his plan is better than your plan. I have anxiety because of something. I'm thinking wrong. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, the opposite of that, it, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So now all of a sudden, if we take things to him and we give it over to him and we just trust him, and sometimes it's, it's, it's not comfortable because he doesn't give us everything. We don't know certain things. We're called to walk by faith. And now all of a sudden there's this trust involved and God's going to prove himself trustworthy. The question is, is do you believe him? Do you think he'll actually do what he says he's going to do? Where's your faith? And if you just give it over to him, now you don't only have peace with God, but now you can have the peace of God, the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The peace of God will come into your life and take over. But wait, there's more. (laughs) It's better than that. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, here we go, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Pastor Joe Foch, as he was teaching through this portion of Scripture, so that's what I ought to name this study, do. These do. He's telling us now what we should be meditating on. So evidently, we have a choice on what goes through our head. And what happens if this is what we purpose in our heart to focus on? Not that other things won't be there, but if we can get out of that mode, verse 9 finishes with, and the God of peace will be with you. We go from peace with God, to the peace of God, and now we have the God of peace. You will have God himself. Walk with him. How do you walk with somebody? Well, you know they're there. You're talking with them. Prayer, right? But you're also thinking about it all day. I tell kids in Sunday school, so what does it mean to talk with God nonstop? You can have a relationship with somebody. We all do. You have relationships with people, and sometimes you're communicating, you're sitting there having a conversation, and you're vocalizing. And other times you just know by their facial expression, by their 
eye roll by, I can't believe you just did that look. I get that all the time because they do a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> or what's wrong with him just by their face. You can walk with God and have this conversation going on all day with him and he can be interrupting. And we need to be asking him, I need to be asking him, Lord, why, what am I thinking about right now? It's not on this list. And if I let my mind wander, it's going to go to places not on this list. He tells us what to think about. Now the question is, where do these thoughts come from and what can I do about it? That's why you want to know. Is there something we can do about it? Why are they there? What's going on? And if you're here, if you're out there in this world thinking about these things, I don't know about you, when I'm thinking about things, it's usually they come to me. Like that guy that doesn't know how to drive next to me. I didn't put him there. It's not my fault. <laughs> but he needs to learn how to drive. And I think I'm here. God put me here to show him that he's doing it wrong so I can help him learn how to drive better. And then I'm thinking more about things I shouldn't do. That's not lovely. That's not noble. That's not on this list. But although I am an excellent driver. <laughs> Inside joke. But it's true. But So the gospel, the book of life, peace with God, prayer and supplication, the peace of God, and thought life, meditation, having God here with me now. And just think about it. When your mind wanders, where does it go normally? Everyone's different. When you daydream, what do you daydream about? What does it even mean to daydream? I'm giving in and letting something take over and go to places, either good or bad, either feeling sorry for myself. A lot of the times when I daydream, I'm having a pity party. Nothing on this list. I just feel sorry for myself. It's all flesh. The flesh is natural, and it comes naturally. And it's, um, I think it'd be saddening to find out, to have God show me how often I'm there in my mind. How often I just spend time in my flesh and don't even know it. And I remember I heard somebody today talking. I remember even Sunday school, I remember th telling them one time, if God could give you a watch and any time you were doing something wrong, it would alarm so that you could stop and go, ooh, so you could repent, would that be good? Would you want God to tell you, hey, come back right now. You're, you left me, come back. And then I'm thinking, I don't know how often it would be going off. But then I'm thinking, he did. He gave it. The Holy Spirit is there. He'll convict you. If you're walking with the peace of God, and all of a sudden you're walking with the God of peace, and you grieve him, the peace goes away. And if you're not walking in it, you're not going to notice that it's gone. How many of us, how much of the day, how many days in a row do I walk, and I'm not even walking in his peace, so I don't even know what it's like when it's gone, because it's not there at all. Because I'm totally carnal right now. It's not that I've walked away. It's not that I'm not saved. I'm just not experiencing him. I'm not walking with him. I'm not enjoying him. I'm not being who I'm supposed to be. I don't have the mind of Christ. And I, God, you need to, we read that in chapter 3, right? We, we need to have him show us to bring us back. I need you to do it because I'm, I'm, I'm not capable. Forget about unwilling. I'm not capable. He is capable and he is willing. So let's just look at who we are. And I think one of the things that helps us is we forget and I don't think we forget intellectually, but we forget who we are. I forget what I'm capable of. Sometimes I end up thinking I'm actually better than I, than I know that I am. I deceive myself. But in Philippians 8, when he says, think on these things, the Vines Expository Dictionary says, it signifies, make those things the subject of your thoughtful consideration, 
or carefully reflect on them or to take account of them. All of those things that are there are about him and his nature and his character. Those are the things that we should be pondering in our brain. It's not going to happen on its own. We need to figure out this process going on inside of us. Um, so what is going on inside of us? The, the bad side. Second Corinthians 10. And 2 Corinthians 10 is going to talk about this, and it's called the spiritual war. Where does the war take place? Sometimes, yeah, it's, it's inside us, right? We know that Satan comes, and he, he is um, an enemy, and we have our flesh. There's multiple things that, that he brings against us. The lust of the flesh, the, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, but all of them are within. First ten, it says, verse one, chapter ten, verse one. Now, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. When I'm there, I'm soft, I'm gentle, I'm loving, and right now I'm kind of scolding like a dad. And there's people there that talk about him being weak when he's not weak. He's loving. They're like, he's not real. But, verse 2, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. The war, Paul says, is I need to take captives and those are the thoughts that go through my head that are carnal i'm at war i'm fighting them it's part of us but that's a battle and it's a battle because they're there and they're strong and it says that whatever we whatever we feed grows so the longer that we sit there and meditate and think about something god showed me that a long time ago not that i heeded to it well but if I'm walking around, I have a, a boss and he's mistreating me because I'm a Christian, let's just say. And all day I'm sitting there thinking, I can't believe he did that. I don't know what his problem is. I work harder than him. I'm going through and I'm murmuring and complaining inside my heart, thinking about this all day. And then all of a sudden, I show up to work. <sighs> okay, I need to act like a Christian. I'm going to take this for Jesus. And then I walk in. I'm like, I've already lost. The battle took place in my head. All that time I should have been praying for him. I, everything I did was wrong. I just... Fed and fed and fed and fed my flesh. And so often by the time I get there, I fail. It's because the war wasn't when I saw him. The war what was going on inside of me before I met him. I gave up. I let my mind wander. I gave in to my flesh. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm acting carnally and I was surprised. It's like, I need help. Don't entertain thoughts. You don't have to. You don't have to. It affects you. It affects me. Genesis 8.
two verses. Eight, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and, of the, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. By nature, our imagination and thoughts are evil by nature. So what, what, what's considered evil? Right? Even a well-intentioned person who tries to do good, who doesn't believe the gospel, but thinks, I need to be nice, I need to do all these things. I mentioned this before, a guy I met on the street, and he's like, so you're telling me that if some guy lives his whole life, gives, feeds the poor, takes care of the homeless, does all this stuff, but he's not born again, that he's going to hell, even though he did good his whole life? And I'm like, well, actually, from God's perspective, every single thing that he did was trying to prove that he didn't need God and Jesus didn't have to die. His whole life was spent trying to convince himself that God's a liar. It's evil. Even good things that we do are evil if they're not in line with what the scripture says that we're doing. We weren't put here to do good. God wasn't up in heaven saying, I'm lacking good. If I make people, they can do good, then I'll be happy. No, he put us here, he wants to spend time with us. Anything you do apart from him is evil, including your thought life. And here we are, Lord, I need help. Jeremiah 4. And I didn't say it, God said it. Their thoughts were evil continually from their youth. You're not born having gentle thoughts, except for our grandson's clothes, but he's so cute. <laughs> Anyways, I say I digress, but that's not digressing. Just one verse. Jeremiah 4, 14. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? They had evil thoughts lodged within them. They're thinking improperly. They're, they were thinking their works were making them right with God apart from what God was going to do. It was about what they did. But in this, showing them that they have an evil and wicked heart is hope. Because now we find out they can wash them. They can have their hearts washed. There is hope for our wicked heart. Matthew 15. It says in verse 16, Are you also still without understanding? 15, 16. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man? For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now, obviously, we know the story. They were eating 
food, not according to the tradition of the elders, and they thought that because their hands were dirty and might have touched a Gentile and then put it food, and then the food went on themselves, they got defiled. He's like, no, it's not what goes into you that defiles the man. It's what comes out of the man. It's what comes out of the man. How important are thoughts? So has if any of you ever killed anyone? Just curious. Raise your hands. Just one. No. <laughs> so God showed me that. Of course, I'm, we've spent time talking people that have killed people in jail. You know, it's easier trying to convince them that they're sinners. They're like, yep, they know it. Or school kids. But <laughs> you think they were walking down the street and somebody was coming the other way and they see a rock and they pick it up and they smash the guy in the head and they go, oh, I'm a murderer. I didn't know it. Or do you think they were thinking things in their head and they had hatred and they didn't like that guy and as they pondered on it and thought about it, it caused an action and they ended up killing him. You don't just randomly accidentally commit murder. You, you might kill somebody by accident, but you don't commit murder by accident. You don't commit adultery by accident. All of these things that Jesus said, you know, it is said of old, but I say unto you, these things all have a purpose and a cause, and we play with them all the time. We're murderers in our heart all the time. God's not okay with that. God's not okay with me. I can do something about it. I can repent. I can get my heart washed. I can come before him. And, it, and this helps because if you want to stop your legalistic, I'm better than you attitude, just let God show you how many times and how bad you are then you realize, you know what, I'm the, I'm the worst sinner that I know. If you, it's, a, it's another whole another stu- study, but you look at all the mature people in the Bible, and they are convinced they are the worst sinners. Because all I know about you is what I see. I know what I think. I don't know what you think, unless you want to tell me. But then you might ask for forgiveness. But he says, all of these things come out of you. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. So the thoughts come from the heart. So there's that one answer we know for sure. Where do you think? You think from your heart. The evil thoughts, anyways, they come from your heart. Hebrews 4. Hopefully I'm painting a picture, then we'll go to the good side, and then we'll finish the chapter. Hebrews 4.11. Therefore... Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anybody fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So God sees our heart. He understands what's of the spirit and what's of the soul, and the word of God divides the two. That's why it's so important to get in the word. I'm thinking things. Am I thinking correctly or incorrectly? The word of God can correct it. God, the Holy Spirit, will bring a verse of scripture to you and say, hey, that's not me. And sometimes... I know it wasn't him. I just needed to have him remind me that I'm letting my mind wander and I'm being carnal and I'm not exercising spiritually and I'm not battling. I was a prisoner of war. Lord, I need help. And I think we're going to find out that there's exercises and practices that we can do. God knows everything that's going on. 
I wasn't going to go there. We're coming to mind when uh, the prophet Samuel came and he was going to pick David, right? He says, bring out your kids. And he shows them one, then the next, then the next. And he says, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. So, I mean, we look at each other, right? First of all, don't judge a book by its cover. Right? That's biblical. But second of all, forget about not judging you by what you look like on the outside. What does God see when he sees us? When God looks at us, he sees our hearts. What do we look like to him? If he doesn't see Jesus, we're all in trouble. <laughs> but he says that if you're saved, when he looks upon you, he sees his son. We are hid in Christ. That's why when Paul keeps on saying, I'm in Christ, he was one of the ones that said, I am the chief of all sinners. And he was probably thankful that he was in Christ. God doesn't have to look on me. He can see his son. He loves his son. And that's what I try to tell religious people too. There's only two types of people, right? Jesus died for everybody. He died for you. His son was to come in my life. I die. He rises so he can live his life in me. So for me personally, when God sees me, he sees his son. If he looks at me and he doesn't see his son, well, his son died to get into me and I wouldn't let him in. So now I'm guilty of killing his son. He's either going to see his son or he's going to see the murderer of his son. He's only going to see two things. He's either going to see Jesus or the one who killed him. He died for you and you wouldn't have him. Heaven or hell. We all have a great hope, but you need to be saved. So those are all of the yucky heart stuff. Turn to Joshua, please. I'm going to take a road down Hagar. Hagar Road. Hagar is Hebrew for, I'll tell you in a second. Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. God's so blunt. Don't you love it that he's honest? He told Hezekiah, you're going to die. Get your house in order. Oh, wait. <laughs> he's just like, anyways. My servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses the God of peace, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance to the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. I'm giving it to you, but to go in, you need to not turn from it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. He doesn't say you need to read the Bible or you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to be with me. 
He says, I've given you the land, I'm giving you this book, and you need to hog it, meditate upon it. You need to dwell over it, mutter, groan, muse, meditate, devise, plot, speak. They're all definitions for this word. You shall meditate in it day and night. So you can think about this day and night. You can think about this or you can think about other stuff. If you think about this, your way will be prosperous and you'll have good success. You want to prosper and have good success. You want to have a fruitful spiritual life. You want to walk with the Lord and have the God of peace with you. Meditate on his word. This word also, that's the first time that word's mentioned. Right? Hermeneutics, big word, the law of first mention usually means something. The second time is in Psalm 1. Flip, we all know this very well. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Scornful, it's an attitude, right? Somebody's scorning, they're thinking bad things, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, same word, day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The second time this word meditate is used, he says prosper again. You want to have a prosperous life, meditate upon God's word. It's used again in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? And this you can kind of correlate to our time now. You can also correlate it to time of the Philippians, right? They're going through hard times. People are persecuting them. There's people getting killed. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord said, has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten of you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And that word, why do the nations rage and the people plot or it's imagine, that's the word. The evil people were plotting and imagining they were meditating on an evil thing. Psalm 63. This literally, this topic could be weeks. I'm hoping, hopefully we'll, just touching on it, if this Lord stirs you and you want to check this out. Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. 
Early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. We don't, he doesn't help us because we meditate on him. He helps us and then we think about that and remember it. Remember what he's done. We don't remember so that he'll do something. Because, verse 7, you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Psalm 77. This heart of meditation and prayer upon God. I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me, prayer. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. Three, I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart. Again, we think and we meditate in our heart. And my spirit was, makes diligent search. So we meditate in our heart and in our spirit we search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he... In anger, shut up his tender mercies, Selah. Then I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. In your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? So here's a guy going through difficult times. David did this multiple times speaking to his own heart, and he lifts himself up. Remember who God is. Don't forget. Think about him and what he's done. doesn't matter what you're going through. Think about him. 14, you are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and of Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Your path is in great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Reading through the Old Testament and what God did for other people should be an encouragement to us. Meditate on his word.
Psalm 143. This is going to be the last psalm. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for... In your sight, no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the works of your hand. Hands, because of time, I won't finish this. I was going to go through the... I muse on the works of your hand. I meditate on all your works. What does it mean to muse? To think. I don't know what language it is. I think it's Greek. To muse, to think. What does an A an A suffix ahead of something mean? Scholarly people. I think you're all smart. <laughs> it means it's a negative. Right, so amuse means to not think. Right, and we've been exhorted last couple times through, especially Richard. Right, the three things in Daniel. Right, one of them is the seeker-friendly church. What do they? They cause us to not think correctly. Social media, not think correctly about society, and then television. Television, to most of us, at its best, it just sucks your brain out, makes you to not think. And sometimes I just want to take a nap from world, including God. I just want to zone out. I just want to vegetate like a vegetable, like just something just sitting there. We weren't created to be vegetables. We were created to worship God, right? And sometimes I'm like, Lord, I need a break. And then I don't wait for him to answer, and I just veg out because he'll tell me why. <laughs> he'll talk me through it and tell me I'm wrong, and I don't want to be told anything. So I just kind of go away. Amusement. We call them amusement parks. It's, it's a place to go to not think. Right? We were created to, to think and to worship and to think properly and to think on things that are good. And They're dangerous. They, they, hurt, they harm us spiritually. And quite frankly, can you ever just not think? I don't think you can. Right? So you can sit there and think I'm not going to think, but subconsciously and in the background, especially TV, there's things that are influencing us. And it's happening. We're just, we're just not forcibly taking every thought captive and I'm not trying hard and I'm not again I'm not saying it's wrong or God won't allow you to do that I'm just saying it's dangerous and where do we go and what do we allow in right even our little kids right be careful little eyes be careful little ears all of those things matter they're all gates something is coming in and coming out and it's important to God Proverbs 23 Speaking of Daniel, kind of comes right to mind. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Because of your own understanding, how you think. 
Will you set your eyes on that which is not? Grasping for something that's not really there. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. Verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. As a man thinks, so is he. If you just Google that, there's a, a book written, early 1900s, and it says it's a self-help book. I'm like, no, I think that came from the original help book. <laughs> not, it's a proverb from God. God's smarter than any man. I don't know if the book is based after that proverb or not. I didn't. We're admonished to be thinking about God continually. We're in a war over our thought life. Our thought life is a battleground. And we have a say in it. You don't murder without hateful thoughts. You don't steal without covetous thoughts. No, you don't commit adultery without immoral thoughts. Um, Ephesians 6, we, we know it, right? The first thing that it says is put on the helmet of salvation, right? And it, which I guess goes against my thought because <laughs> you don't think with your brain, you think with your heart. But th- there's a lot going on and we need to be ready to battle and we need to know what we're fighting. If you don't even know who, who or what the enemy is, what do you do? You just go out swinging and cut everybody's ear off? Right? The battle is there and it can be victorious. You can't walk around all day complaining. Right? It says that in the Philippians, which you can turn back there. In chapter 3, right? Murmuring and complaining. Don't murmur and complain. Just start there. It's a good, if you just want to have God have control of your thoughts, just say, Lord, every time I'm complaining or murmuring about something, show me. Because I'm amazed how many times I'm complaining in my heart, either out loud or even quietly. And eventually, if I think it enough, it comes out. It's easy. Everyone around me complains all day. No one I work with is saved, and all they do is complain. And it's so natural, and I'm like, so there. I have to stop. Lord, help me. Chapter 4, verse 10. I'll read 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Not so that you'll be saved, but that, and then if you do that, the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. They've sent Epaphrodites with something to Paul to encourage him that they've been waiting to deliver. They gave to him. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. 11, not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So here we go. We know that he says, godliness and contentment is great gain. To be content. And if we complain about something, anything, guess what? We're actually complaining to God. When people use the Lord's name in vain when they're mad, oh, that didn't go the way that I wanted to, and they use his name in vain. Well, they're basically saying, it's your fault. They don't use any other God's name in vain. Isn't that kind of funny? They don't walk around, Harry Krishna, because they know who God is. If they're going to curse God, they know who to use, right? <laughs> so he said, in whatever state that I'm in, I've learned to be content. So contentment is learned. You can learn to be content. It's something that we need to take in. So 
I know how to be abased, verse 12. I know how to abound. This is how he learned how to be content. Things he's learned, I know. I know how to be abased. I know how to have nothing. I know how to abound. He was a high-ranking official that was rich. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. I'm not living for food. I'm not living for money. I'm not living for comfort. I'm not living to be... He goes, and I have both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And again, a text without a context is a pretext, as Pastor Joe says all the time. If you can't take this out of context and understand what it says, I've heard this quoted by multiple athletes. Wow, you really did good today. How did you? Hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. That's how I won. If somebody said that after they lost, that would be more in context. I can win with Jesus and I can lose with Jesus. It's not just about what happens to you. It's about how you go through it. I don't, the things don't matter. Winning doesn't matter. Losing doesn't matter. I just want to run the race by following the rules, as he uses in, in another text. I just want to walk so that I know that he's with me as I'm going. I have the God of peace with me. I can do all things. It's not about my stuff. Thank you for bringing stuff to me. And he's going to go on and tell them, I'm glad that you wanted to do things for me because that shows that you're healthy. The giving wasn't because I'm getting. The giving is because it shows your heart. God's not broke. Paul didn't care if he was broke or rich. These people were in a giving mood because their heart was right, because they weren't walking around complaining. They didn't have much. They loved Paul, and it was an expression of their love for him. And he's thankful that they cared enough about him, but he didn't need it. 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I could have done it without what you gave me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. And aren't we to do that? Aren't we to weep with those that weep and Rejoice with those who rejoice. We're supposed to go through things with each other. And we're a very open body. Maybe we could be more open. But we're supposed to have the same mind with people. Paul's glad that they cared about him. And when they helped him, they were sharing with it. He's in jail. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. God appreciates the heart that wanted to help. 19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. You're going to be rewarded for your heart in what you did. Nothing that we do for the kingdom goes unrewarded. You cannot outgive God. And his people, as we love one another, it's an expression of him, right? Whenever two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there in the midst. He is love. The love that you have one for another is his presence. He's there. 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with 
me greet you, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So he wraps it up. And I just thank you, Father, thank you for being good. Thank you for thinking about us all the time. Um, thank you that you've made us in your image and that we can actually be a partaker of your nature. Lord, by your spirit, we can actually think good things. We can love one another. We can love you. And you've given us the ability uh, to walk with you, that the God of peace will be with us if we just acknowledge your presence throughout the day. So I just pray that you would uh, convict us of evil thoughts, that you would remind us when our mind just naturally goes off without our even being aware of it. Um, even in prayer, Lord, I can just be gone. And we just pray that you would show up, that the God of peace would talk to us and draw us back with your cords of love. And thank you for being patient. Thank you for being gracious. Thank you for being loving. And uh, help us to be aware of how good you are all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.